You can be seated. Thank you again for being here this morning. What a joy it is to worship with you. And thankful for Ryan and everybody else who leads us so effectively in our worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the 18th chapter of Jeremiah, we're in the middle of a series, just a really short series, uh, looking at the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. We're looking at shaping your future. Uh, this morning, uh, we're looking uh, at just these 12 verses uh, that I believe uh, call us to a new design in our life. Uh, when, when you look at your future, there's a tendency to think that God controls it all. There's no doubt about that. He, he is the architect of what's going on in your life. But there is a part that you play in that. Remember, we've, we've told you this time and time again, but you are not a robot. Uh, you, you, God did not create you and then like a puppet master holds the strings over your life and forces you to do things that he wants you to do. Quite the contrary, God loved you so much and we even shared this last week when we kind of veered off of this series for a little bit, but we shared with you last week that God's love for you says that he sets you free that he gives you the will to do what you choose to do. You can choose to follow God or not follow God, walk after God or, or not walk after God. And so all those things are dependent upon you. Now, Jeremiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, is working with uh, the people of Israel, and he's trying to guide them. He's trying to uh, be the voice of God in their lives as they are looking uh, toward their future and what's going on in their future. And he comes to this place where he gives this illustration. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah to go up uh, to the potter's house and see what's going on at the potter's house. And while he's there, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, look at what the potter's doing, how he's at the wheel, and he's shaping a, a clay form, and he's making it new. And even in the process... Uh, the potter is not happy with the way things are going, and so he, he takes the design down and he restructures it again. He, he begins the process over again. And it reminds us that he can design, God can design any mess into a masterpiece. If your life is not where you want it to be right now, be patient. God's not finished with you yet. And, and you have some things to do in the midst of being patient. As you place your life into God's hands, you have some things that you are responsible for. One of the things that you're responsible for is living your life to the very end. Most of you know I'm a, a baseball fan, an Astros fan. I've, you've been here long enough to know that about me now. But one of the reasons I really like baseball is because there's no clock involved in baseball. Uh, you watch a basketball game, and I loved basketball. I grew up playing basketball. That was my sport. Uh, but there's four quarters or two halves, and, and there's a clock, and that, that clock runs out. Same is true with soccer. Same is true with almost any sport. There's kind of a clock, and the clock runs out, and, and, and then you're done. Baseball, you, you don't have that clock. You, you have nine innings, uh, and so there is a, a limit but that limit can go very different. Uh, the first three innings can go very quick. The, first, the next three innings might take a while. 
the last inning might take an hour uh, because of what happens. Astros are a great example of this, so are almost all other teams. But last year when the Astros won the World Series, a lot of people look back to a Memorial Day game when they were behind six runs uh, to the Milwaukee Brewers, I think. It was either the Brewers or the Twins. They were behind by six runs going into the eighth inning, and they were playing away. And in the top of the eighth inning, when the Astros came to bat, down six runs, they scored 11 runs. And in the next inning, the top of the ninth, they scored three runs. When they were down by six, they ended up winning by eight in the last two innings. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of sports broadcasters and, and people who are affiliated with Astros say that they really feel like was the big turning point where the Astros felt like they could take it all away and win the World Series, which they did. But if you'd have looked at them in the first six or seven innings of that game, you'd have said, man, they're getting toasted. In fact, I have to be honest with you, I was watching a little bit of that game and I turned the TV off only to find out later that they scored 11 runs in one inning. And so I did what anybody who's a fan does. I went back and watched the replay so I could watch that because it was so much fun to watch. Listen, um, we all have to play to the final out. That, that's kind of what I, I think Jeremiah is trying to tell us today, and I, I think I can prove it scripturally. I don't want to prove it just by giving you Astro's illustrations. I want to prove what the scripture says here. I want to take this text, I want to proof it, and I want to show you that this text says you can play to that final out because God can take your life wherever it is right now and, and he can make a masterpiece out of it if you'll just allow him to work with you. So turn to Jeremiah, if you're not there yet, the 18th chapter, and let me read these first 12 verses with you. As I do that, can you just take a moment in your mind and do me a favor and pray for Clint right now? Uh, Laura and I have very good friends, Fred and Mary Wilcox. Mary works for Laura and Fred uh, works at the Timpson School District and he's a bivocational pastor at a, a church, a smaller church up here in Timpson, outside of Timpson called Mount Olive. And Fred was leaving to go on vacation uh, this week. Fred and Mary were going to go on vacation and he called me at the end of last week and said the guy that I had that was supposed to preach bailed on me and I have nobody and we really need to go on vacation. And I said, I've got just the perfect guy who can cover that for you. And so I asked Clint to do me a favor and Clint agreed and so he left about 10.45 this morning to drive up to Timson to preach at this church for uh, Fred and Mary. And so you would do me a big favor if you would just pray for Clint right now in this sweet little church that he's preaching at and ask God to speak through Clint as he preaches this morning. So the 18th chapter of Jeremiah, this is what uh, uh, God teaches us here in this passage. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the potter he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, the pot that he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. 
If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of, it, of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I'd planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. Lots of things here to unpack this morning. One of the cool things is that I, and I really want you to grab out of this, is that the Lord sent Jeremiah to the potter's house to show him something that he wanted to do. Well, one of the things that I, you are very good at and that I want you to even become better at is seeing God in the midst of things around you. That's why it's not wrong. Hear me say this. It is not wrong for you to walk into places and think, see things that are happening and for God to speak to you in the midst of those things that are happening. When people come up to me and say, oh, you use Astros as an illustration all the time, or oh, you use your family as an illustration all the time, or oh, you use this or that as an illustration all the time, all I have to do is point them to Jeremiah 18 and say, look, God uses all kinds of things that he places in front of you as illustrations. Now, if I'm just talking about the Astros or just talking about my family, then th that's a mistake. But when I talk about them because God puts it in my heart and shows me how he's trying to craft what I'm seeing for his good and his glory, then there's a purpose behind that. And that's what's happening here. Jeremiah, God didn't send Jeremiah to the potter's house to see a potter make a clay pot, although that's perfectly fine. And Jeremiah could have seen, man, look at that. Look at the skill of that artisan. Look at the greatness of what he's shaping the thing that he's making, isn't that wonderful? But what God did was see what he's doing. Imagine me doing that in your life, just like the potter is taking that pot and shaping it and forming it into a masterpiece. I can do the very same thing in your life. And just when you think it's messed up, just when you think the scripture says it's marred, maybe even beyond control or beyond what you think is repairable, look at how the master can take it, can break it, and can remold it again exactly into what he wants it to be so that you can't even see the imperfections anymore. You can see only the beauty of what's going on. Well, that's the great news of what God is sharing with you here. So when you wake up and you take that picture of the sunset or the sunrise, and, or when you're going to bed and you take that picture of the sunset and you post it on some kind of social media and you say, look at the majesty of God and how God can paint that picture. You're not doing anything wrong. You're doing exactly what scripture does over and over again. He takes the beauty of things that we visibly see as humans with our eyes and he teaches us through those things. So what's he trying to teach us today? What's God trying to show us in these scriptures? Well, I really think there's two or three things that he's trying to show us here about how we can be called to a new design in our life. 
The first thing I, I really want you to see, look at verse 7 and 8. It says, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it disaster. What is he trying to tell you and me there? He's trying to tell you it's never too late to turn things around. The, the Lord is, is showing us here in these two verses that it's not too late for you to turn your life around. Think about the, the biblical example of Nineveh. Uh, Jonah goes to the people of Nineveh and he says, God is getting ready to rain down judgment on you. He says, you have 40 days left to turn your life around. And if you do not turn your life around, God is getting ready to bring judgment to you. And what do the people of Nineveh do? Well, they repent. The, the scripture says that they repent of their evil ways. And God says, Boo, I relent from the evil that was going to rain down on you. Basically, he was telling the people of Nineveh, and he's telling you, and he's telling me, and he's telling the Israelites here in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah that you don't have a free pass. You don't have forever. The ninth inning is coming. You're going to reach a point sooner or later where you're going to have your last bat. And just like the Astros did, and just like the people of Nineveh did, you can score a whole bunch of runs, and you can change the game around to make it work in your favor because God is that kind of a God. He's the kind of God who wants you to have time to change your life around. It's not too late. It's never too late until you wait to the very last minute. You, it doesn't matter what habit you've had that just seems to tear you up. It doesn't matter that you've been doing things the same way for years and years. It doesn't matter what sin is in your life. You can walk away from it. You can place your life into the, into the hands of the Lord, and He can remold it and remake it. Everybody do me a favor. Everybody do me a favor. Take your two fingers right here. Put your wrist out like this. And put your two fingers right there on the edge of your wrist. My mom was a nurse. She taught me how to do this. Do you feel that beating going on? That's your heart. And if you can feel your heart beating right now, you have time to turn, change your life, to turn your life around. You have time because God is still beating your heart. You are still breathing, and you have time to take what you are doing now, which may be totally against the will of God, and change it totally for his will and totally for his kingdom. You can do that if you have a beating heart. The second thing is this. <laughs> it's just the opposite, and it pains me to say this, but listen to me. It's not too late for you to mess things up, too. Look at verse 9 and 10. Remember, Jeremiah has been looking at the potter, and in verse 7 and 8, the potter has taught him that if any nation comes along and turns around and turns toward God, then God will relent. That's what he's seen in the hands of the potter, that when it's broken, it can be fixed. But he's also seen in the hands of the potter that there may be, come a time and there will come a time 
uh, when you can mess things up too. I mean, that, that's what he's taught, been taught, is that the, that the clay can be marred and, and it can be messed up. And, and we know who's messing that up. It's, it's you and me. Look at verse 9. It says, And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I had intended for it to do. Listen, you, you, you are fooling yourself. You're not fooling God, and you're not fooling uh, the Lord. You, you, you can be fooling me. You can be fooling your parents. You can be fooling your family. You can fool your coworkers. You, you can fool everybody, but you're not going to fool God about what your life is like. And it's not too late where you can mess things up. Uh, let, me, let me put this another way where it'll make more sense or maybe help make more sense. Uh, you'll never reach the place where you've arrived. You, you have not attained what the Lord wants for you yet, and you never will. Uh, the, the moment you attain what the Lord wants for you is the moment when you're called away. Uh, I think we just sung that almost just a second ago, didn't we, until he... Help me with the words here. Till he ret- thank you very much. How, why, why do you remember that and I don't? Till, till he returns or calls us home, here in the life of Christ I'll stand. And, and that's, that's the singing explanation of the biblical text, which is what Ryan's ministry is for us and what any good worship pastor's uh, ministry is, is to reaffirm what the text is going to teach us. And the truth is, till he returns or calls us home, you've got two options. One is to live for him, or one is to mess up and live for yourself. And that's what the Lord is telling us here. And I don't like doing that. I mean, I don't like telling you, don't, don't, don't forget it. You can, you can still mess up. But the, the point is, you, you've got to understand, and I do too, that we have not arrived. Um, think of, think of the, I, I just know this makes sense, but the, the Titanic, you know what the, 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 one of the porters said? You've heard this before, but one of the porters said, uh, uh, when, when people were boarding the Titanic, said, God himself could not sink this ship. Well, God didn't even have to sink the ship. An iceberg sunk the ship. I mean... You know, they did not build the perfect ship. And, and there's people there, there's people who think they've arrived. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I went on a mission trip last year. Uh, you know, we pray before meals. You know, and you think, well, I'm, I'm kind of walking with God. And, you know, God bless you for doing all those things. And, and the Lord loves you for doing all those things. But you can't turn off. Uh, your spigot at just halfway through your life and say, well, I'm kind of doing everything I need to be doing right now. That's not how God intended for you to live. You can can sit here with me and think of example after example after example of companies who thought they had made it and they just kind of quit. You know, it's pretty hard to find a Swiss watch anymore. You know, and if you go to Switzerland, 
where for years and years they dominated the watch market. Uh, and you, you talk to, to manufacturers in Switzerland who made those watches, their principle in their mind was we make the perfect watch. We never have to improve or get better. And that's just not true. You always have to be looking to improve or get better or otherwise you'll be out of business almost like every Swiss watch company is right now. Do you know why Apple dominated the, 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 uh, the home computer market for so long and, and dominated uh, the personal computer market for so long? Because the people who invented the computer, IBM was basically the inventor of the computer. The one, one of the first computers they ever built would fill up this room, would fill up the sanctuary. And when they built it and filled up the sanctuary with this computer, it did some basic calculations and all those kinds of things that really helped. But the, the guy, Thomas Watson, who, who came up with that whole thing and built the whole machine and everything, he said, I'll never see a reason that the world would ever need more than five of these computers. And when somebody told him about someday being everybody having a personal computer, he laughed and said, there's absolutely no reason for it. Well, now every one of you probably owns at least one, probably more than one computer. It's, it's the same principle to think that uh, when you've gotten to this place, whatever place that is, that, that you've arrived, that, that you don't have to do anything else. Listen, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this. I, I'll read it to you. You don't have to go there. You can go look at it later. But it's, it's right before a verse that you're familiar with. You're familiar with a verse that says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can escape from underneath it. You're familiar with that verse. Listen to the verse before it. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful because you might fall. See, that, that kind of hits you and me right between the eyes, especially those of us who are here this morning. You know, the guys that are out fishing this morning or the guys that are out doing whatever this morning and, and not that, just that they took a Sunday off, but that they don't come to church or... They don't come worship the Lord, and they just think that's not important to them. You know, you and I tend to look at those people and say, man, they had not got that figured out. Um, they don't know what it's like. They're not where I'm at. You know, that's the same thing the Pharisees said. You know, they don't worship God like I worship God. They don't know God like I know God. And the problem is we can sit on our pompous you-know-what in those beautiful red chairs that are, you're sitting in that are very cushiony and feel very good, and you can think, man, I've got it figured out. And what the Lord says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, is you better watch out. If you think you've got it figured out, you may be wrong. And so the Lord says to us, you need to do some things to make sure that you're walking with him, that you're taking care of him. Think about what you're going to do when you leave here this morning. You're going to do everything that you can to protect yourself. You're going to get in your car, and you're going to put your seatbelt on. 
When you go home, you're going to lock the doors tonight when you go to bed probably. You, if you have a safe at home like I do, I shouldn't have told you that, but if you, if you have a safe at home like I do that has all your guns in it or all your money or whatever, I just have guns, no money, so there's no sense in coming to my house. But you, you, you lock it. You don't leave it open. You do everything. If you go to downtown Nacogdoches today and you get out on Main Street and cross the street, you'll look both ways before you cross the street. Little children don't do that because they need help. They need somebody guiding them. But you grab their hands and you look both ways and you walk them across the street. Why do you do that? Because you're doing everything within your power to protect your life, to protect the things that you love, to watch out for things that you care about very much. Well, what's different with your faith walk? When's the last time you got this book out and studied it? When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you went on a mission trip? When's the last time you volunteered to help with VBS or anything else that's going on? That's how you walk with the Lord. That's how you don't mess up. That's how you protect your life and walk with the Lord. And it, you have to keep doing it all nine innings. You have to do it to the last out. You can't take a break. Listen, I, I, I told you when I first came here, you know, I'm, I'm on a maybe five, six, seven-year run, you know, here, and then somebody else is going to walk in and take my place. You, you got that. You understand that. What you don't understand is I'm not going to walk away from here. You know, I, I may... I may be part-time, I may, if you let me draw a salary doing something, uh, I, I may just not be do anything doing with salary with the church, but I can promise you that I'm going to be here. I'll rock those babies, I'll, I'll work VBS, I'll take people on mission trips. Uh, you know, my goal is uh, to keep working for the kingdom until the final outcome. That's what I want to do. That's what you should want to do too. It, it doesn't matter that you're, you know, that you have this important position. You know, you don't necessarily have to teach the class or, or you know, sing up here or lead music like Ryan does. You don't have to have that important position anymore. I, I won't be your pastor forever. That position will go away sometime. But my uh, place in the kingdom will continue until He calls me home. And, and I'm going to keep doing stuff. I'm not stopping. Uh, and you shouldn't either. That, that's what we're called to do. I don't know how many of you um, are Fox News watchers. I can, I can get myself in trouble sometimes when, when I tell you that I do that sometimes. Uh, but there, there's a guy on there uh, that uh, in the evening news uh, that w they do kind of a panel. And there's always three or, or four reporters that... Uh, the Brett Bear, the news guy, is asking them what they think about what's going on today. And uh, Charles Krauthammer is a guy that's uh, one of those guys. I've always liked him because he's, uh, he's just honest. Uh, he, sometimes he'll take this side, sometimes he'll take that side. But the way he words himself, he, he's what I call a wordsmith. He, he just can't make things, break things down, make them understandable. 
and, and, and parse them so well that I just go, wow, I like what he said. Well, he hasn't been on for about a year, and come to find out about six months ago, he had cancer. And by the way, I, I haven't told you this, but he's a paraplegic. He was uh, uh, killed, uh, not killed, he was hurt in a, in a swimming accident, if I remember correctly, and, and became a paraplegic. And he uh, still went to school, became a, a, a psychiatrist. He's a doctor. Uh, he has his MD, uh, but he's, he went into writing because of his, uh, his uh, disability. So, and he became famous, uh, working and writing and speaking on the news and everything along those lines. So, about six months ago, they diagnosed him with cancer. Uh, he had cancer surgery. Uh, because of his uh, uh, disabilities, his recovery time was much longer, and he was just about to announce that he was uh, doing well enough uh, that he thought he would be able to come back and start appearing on Fox News again every once in a while. And uh, he, he had a setback. Uh, they did some scans of his body, and they discovered that his cancer is back, and there's absolutely nothing they can do. And he has, uh, the doctors told him he would probably only have about three weeks to live. And he wrote that in a letter uh, to uh, Fox News, and I, I saw it on the Internet, uh, and he published it Thursday or Friday of this past week. And I saw an interview uh, that they did with him uh, about a year or two ago uh, as they were announcing, making this announcement that Charles Krauthammer is uh, sooner or later in the next few weeks going to meet uh, the Lord. And uh, they asked him, uh, somebody said, what, what would you like to be doing at the end of your life? Uh, the interviewer asked him, what would you like to be doing at the end of your life? And he said, I'd like to be sitting at my computer writing my very last article. Well, listen, when, when the Lord calls me home, um, and don't get me wrong, I, I love to play golf, uh, I, I, I love to travel, uh, I, I love being with Laura on the lake, doing different things. We, I, there, I can name you a thousand things that I love to do that really don't have much to do with the kingdom. And, and I enjoy doing them, and I don't think there's a thing wrong with doing any of them. I, I think the Lord uh, likes that. But when the Lord calls me home, I, I'd love to be halfway around the world sharing the gospel. Some of you would think that's a tragedy. Oh, my gosh, he, he went to be the Lord, and he was in Jamaica, or he was in Laos, or he was in China, or he was somewhere halfway around the world. But please don't shed any tears for me if that's where God calls you home. You know, just like Ian this past week, would you have a big celebration and just celebrate the fact that I was working for the kingdom with my last breath? I hope that's true for you, too. I, I, don't, I don't want to make this about me. I want it to be about you. Can, can you make my ministry much easier? And you say, well, how can we make it easier for you, Pastor? Can we pay you more? Yes, you can do it. <laughs> But no, no, I, look, I, I don't really want any more money. And I mean, I'd love to have 500 people here instead of 300. 
There's a lot of things I'd love to see. But the, you know how you can make my ministry easier? If you live for the kingdom, if you work for Christ, if you live your lives the best you can, then one day when you pass away and I have to do your service, it'll be so simple. I won't have to make up things. I won't have to dream up things. I won't have to figure out what in the world I want to say. I'll just be able to call your name out and say, this dude lived for the kingdom. You ought to live for the kingdom like he lived for the kingdom. Man, that, that makes my job easy. Last thing. Listen, a lot of people don't see this in the scripture, but in the scripture, it's over and over again made very clear that you are responsible for your life. And I wrote this down. It's time to take responsibility for your life. If you want to shape your future, if you want to be called to a new design in your life, then you need to take responsibility. Don't put it on your parents. Don't put it on your friends. Don't put it on me. Don't put it on Laura. Don't put it on your doctor. Don't put it on anybody else. Take responsibility for yourself. Look at verse, uh, let's look at verse 11 and 12. It's, it's, it's really important for you to see this. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah, this is God telling Jeremiah what to say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you. It doesn't say, uh, you know, turn from your evil ways collectively. It doesn't say, okay, we all need to get together and turn from our evil ways doesn't say that. It says, turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. And then look at what verse 12 says. But they will reply, it's no use. We're going to continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of our own evil heart. Wow. That idea here is, is responsibility, personal responsibility. Each one of you are personally responsible for how you live. You know, I, I, I'm sure, it, I would be shocked if most of you didn't feel the same way I do. But when people come to me and they've messed up and they start blaming everybody except taking responsibility, I just, it, it almost makes me ill. You know, why is it that when somebody finally takes personal responsibility, we, we celebrate them like, oh my gosh, you're so different than everybody else. It, it sh that should be a normal, natural thing. When we mess up, we take personal responsibility. I, man, I get the whole deal about insurance. Uh, you know, when you, when you have an accident, you know, don't say anything, just give them your card, don't say anything. You know, I get that. I, I totally get that because of the world we live in. But the other day I was leaving Lars Mann's house, and um, I, I came to a stop sign at the end of her block, and, and I looked that way, and there was a car that was coming, but the car stopped. 
and for no reason at all, just stopped way down the block. And I was going to wait for him, but the car coming stopped, and I went, oh, I can go. And I took off, and as soon as I took off, I looked back this way, which I should have done. Everybody knows I should have done that. But I didn't do that. And I looked back this way, and there was a car coming. I mean, and he went right around me. And I slammed on the brakes and watched him go around me, and I went, I just almost killed him and me. I mean, we probably wouldn't have been hurt that bad, but it would have, you know, taken my truck and his car, and it would have demolished both of us. There, there's no doubt in my mind. And, and the first thing that went through my mind was, that would have been my fault. That, there is no way around it. That would have been my fault. That, that's what you and I have to be willing to do. That's what the Lord tells us in the Scripture, is it's time for us personally to accept responsibility for who we are how we've been living our lives and to change our lives. Here's the great news. Here's the incredibly good news. Your life can be changed not because of what you do, but because of what he did for you on Calvary. That's the great news. That's the awesome news. Listen, this is, this is what I want to close with. It's important that you hear me say this. Your future is not written in stone. It's not. It's not carved in stone. Your future is in clay. And if your future is in clay, that means the master has control of it. If you'll just allow him to be the master of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so desperately want to place our lives into your hands. Father, we want to be moldable and makeable according to your will for our lives. But God, there is some things that we have to do. We can't think that we've already achieved it, uh, that we've already made it, and we can rest on our laurels. But, Father, we also have to realize, Father, that there's still time left in this thing that we call life. And we have to take personal responsibility for that. And, Father, we would ask also that you would keep, help us to keep from getting too high and too mighty and too proud that we think we've already attained what you would have for us. God, would you keep working on our hearts? Would you remind us that we are moldable in your sight? God, as we enter into this time of invitation, Father, would you break hearts and open them to what your will is for their life? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.